Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to what a load of cobblers, Friday Night Lights, Wembley Special, from the banks of the Nen to Wembley Way. We're here to talk another cobbler's visit to their spiritual second home in North London. I'm Tom Reed, and I'm joined by Wallach's resident baseball player. He's hoping the cobblers knock it out of the park at Wembley. It's Martin Maloney. Hello, Martin. Hi, Tom. I'm not sure that reference is actually particularly good considering cobblers play a bit of long ball. We might literally knock it out of the stadium, but hey, you to know. Be, to be fair, if we defended a 1 0 lead. I'll happily see it go out of Wembley in the last two minutes. You're actually joining us live from the, uh, the hotbed of Northampton's uh, baseball, aren't you? Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm St Crispin, so the other end of town for me. But we've got our baseball diamond up here along with the Cobblers football and community. And I've got Gregory Celtic, who live up here as well, training in front of me. So, yeah, a bit better than my normal boring desk at home. Yeah, a bit of a sporting uh, haven over there. Sounds really good. Um, we've also got a guy who's been... Suffering from playoff fever for weeks. Currently lying down with a cold compress. It's Ian Brunt. Hello, Ian. Hi, everyone. Good to be here. Yeah, you've still got cobbler's fe- uh, playoff fever? Absolutely. Everyone has. Yeah, looking forward to Monday. It's just a bit of an excitement. A bit of a weird season. And just to finish with a bit of excitement is pretty good, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's brought everyone together. I think, um, I think our players are, are raring to go. And, you know, I think... I think they're trying to get a positive out of it, and I think hopefully they're going to. Yeah, we've got every chance now, especially after that comeback. It's just given us so much, much hope. But we'll we'll get into the nuts and bolts of what might or might not happen a bit later. But let's introduce uh, Jake Moore. Good He's morning, Cobblers fans. Hello, mate. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm all right. I'm all good. I'm not too bad. I've just sh- shaved my head yesterday. I probably should have done it at the beginning of lockdown. This was probably the wrong time to do it, but shave my head for Wembley. Didn't that thing of getting a special haircut for a cobbler's Wembley like um Andy Roberts did back in the 90s <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah if I was if I was a bit more on the ball I probably would have like maybe shaved like a sort of mohawk in and dyed that claret but nah, sadly it's all gone now no, it's the effort that counts mate it's the effort that counts and we're all really pleased to have another ex-cobbler on the line we had Ian Clarkson before we've got a, a teammate of his on the line who is going to help us sort the wheat from the playoff chaff Possibly the fastest cobbler, cobbler's player we've ever had, I think. The man who still gives Harry Redknapp nightmares, it's Chris Freestone. Hello, Chris. Morning, Tom. How are you? How you doing, mate? I know for a fact that um, Harry Redknapp apparently wakes up in a cold sweat when, about when you uh, you did one over him in the 90s. Do you still remember that, that game against West Ham? 
Yes, people remind me of it all the time, and I've, I've got a bit of footage, just just the goals. Um, but yeah, I, I remember it really, really well. And even looking at the video, Harry looks quite young then, but obviously he's, he's aged since then as well. So hopefully I had something <laughs> to do with that. You must have had your Weetabix that, that night because you never stopped running. And it was actually, funnily enough, looking at the Cobblers, the games in the playoffs, not obviously an identical player, but Callum Morton up front for Northampton, he's on loan from West Brom. He's a, he's a very willing runner. He runs in behind. And I, I think he's fairly similar in style to you, actually. Did you, did you see much of him? He's a good player. I, I saw a little bit. Um, it was it was obviously it was difficult in the first game because he didn't get much of the ball. But the second game, he was all over the pitch. From what I heard, I missed I missed half the game. But um, the bits I saw, he he was everywhere. You know, he was chasing back in defence. He was running over the, in behind. He was running on one side of the pitch. He was all over. Um, phenomenal game for him, um, and obviously the rest of the team as well. Do you think that that's what maybe the difference was? Just that that will and hunger, and it was. Probably a slightly reminiscent of our game back in '98 against Bristol Rovers in the in the semi-final, where we just did not give them an inch, and we just literally just tried to hammer them into submission. Do you think there were similarities there? Yeah, I mean, you know, I watched I watched the first leg against Cheltenham, and I just thought that uh, they didn't seem to be pressing. They they weren't running around a lot. They weren't pressing the ball as much. And I've always found from whenever I watch the games that um, the best cobblers teams press and run. And Harry and, and just chased down every single ball, and obviously um, that's what they did in the second leg, and that's what got them the three goals. When they work that hard, um, they'll, they'll win games. It's when they sit off and let players play in front of them, and obviously chop them, pass the ball around a little bit. But if you don't give them a second on the ball, what happens is what happened in the second leg. You know, you get your three goals and you get chances. That's very true, Martin. Chris is sort of analysis of the, the Cheltenham game could be directed back at that one back at Bristol Rovers in 98. Do you remember that that comeback in, where, oh, where Chris played the I think I think it's definitely a, a lot a lot of wisdom in um, in Chris's analysis there. It's um I think sometimes I think what's underrated about forward players is the defensive value that you add just by pressing. If you know I think the oh. the contrast between kind of the first leg of the playoffs and then when we've seen really good, you know, well, two really good 3-0 wins split by, tw- by 20 years is you've got a, a big man doing the bullying up front and you've got a willing runner off them that's occupying people. That then stops, you know, the, the opposition's defenders feeling as confident coming forward, which then gives you midfielders space, takes pressure off your defence. So it's, I think, you know, everyone on the park adds something in all areas of the pitch, even if you're not playing in it. And I think, you know, those great combinations, you know, Chris with, uh, with Big John Gale um, and, and Carl Heggs um, and then Morton and, and Big Verdane, it really, it sets a tempo. If You know, you, you can almost lead from the front and that makes your defender's job so much easier. And then once they're relaxed, everything can flow through. Bruce, so yeah, I spot on. I, I, despite the fact to use those more words, I can't put any better than Chris did. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, watching the the, the the great comeback v Cheltenham, do you think we sort of led from led from the front? Do you think that that attacking in, intent really sort of helped us to do the job? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Like Martin just said, um, you know, Morton just chased down every. Every ball, wasn't it? Everything, every lost cause. When you got someone like that, 
who's prepared to do that. It turns, you know, turns any sort of chance, any sort of time the ball's at that end of the pitch into a half chance, doesn't it? And obviously the, the presence of um, Vidane as well, um, yeah, makes all the difference. But, you know, as Chris said, I mean, you know, we, they both played in the first leg as well, but because we didn't have that, that same sort of urgency and, and pressing, that they didn't really come into the game. So, so hopefully on Monday, obviously everyone's going to be hoping we play like we did in the second leg rather than the first leg. What was it like? Because you've been over in Canada and stuff, maybe you haven't caught as many games as you perhaps wanted. Jay, what was it like um, mm. watching that playoff come back? What did you think of it? Genuinely, I, I struggle to think of a better cobbler's performance I've ever seen than that. It was kind of, um, maybe just out of from the first whistle. Well, I, also, I think when I was last on, I sort of touched on the fact that the lack of fans for the cobblers, so when, when the, the bats against the wall at the cobblers, we, we tend to, you know, we all do rally round and we do lift the atmosphere. But, you know, it just wasn't needed. They just were completely composed. They, they bullied Cheltenham. They got <clears throat> completely... Um, at them from from the get go, and I think the minute I mean the minute that Van Van Dyne Oliver scored, it was like you know in, in hindsight, you know it's probably uh, sort of a bit easy to say, but you kind of look back and think there was only ever going to be one result. They just uh, yeah, it was brilliant. I, I genuinely I would struggle to think of a better performance than uh, last last Monday night. It was a total team performance, and then when we look at the final, it's just interesting to to work out whether we're going to be able to able to maintain that that level of performance going into Wembley is you know slightly bigger pitch big, uh, even with without fans it's going to be a, a big occasion for the team and this is probably where Chris can give us a little bit of an insight although Chris sadly we weren't successful in 98 in that final week Grimsby no. you could probably give us some insight into how, how do you reckon if the game is tight on on Monday night how, how would should cobblers go around trying to affect that game Kind of um, slightly more creative, or, or what? Um, they, they've got to have a mixture because if they play long and look to get the ball in behind every time, then all that's going to happen is the uh, the team's going to drop and there's not going to be the space in behind, and that's where they're going to have to start playing to feet a little bit and maybe look for those intricate passes, you know, um, little through balls into strikers, set off third man runs those sort of things that are going to open them up. And then once the team starts pushing in behind, uh, pushing up the pitch a little bit, then they can go direct again. But they've got to mix it up. I mean, Wembley's, it's it's a draining environment. You know, you go in there and it, the nerves that you have, you've got to get them under control before you start. You know, there's a lot of pressure. You've got the pressure of Northampton on your, on your shoulders, even without the fans being there. You know, you want to do it for the fans. So they've got to get all that under control first. And then they've got to, um, and like I say, they've got to mix their game up. They can't play long for the entire game because the players won't be able to run. It doesn't matter how fit they are. It is a draining pitch and they won't be able to play up that intense for 90 minutes and possibly into extra time if it goes that far. So they've got to mix it up and they've got to choose when to do it and when not to do it. And that's that'll be the key, you know. And as long as everybody's, you know, at the top of their game, um, then there'll only be one winner. I remember you saying in our podcast we did with you, Chris, that you just felt frustrated in that Wembley 98 final v Grimsby, that you, you worked really hard. And I remember seeing a photo of you at the end looking just, just knackered and dejected. But you never, you, that, that one chance never really fell for you. Do you remember no, me it, saying that? Yeah, it was a, a game of half chances. I've, I've actually seen some of it back and every chance that sort of dropped was a half chance, whether it fell to me or somebody else. 
There was never a clear-cut opportunity, and that's all you want as a striker, just one clear-cut opportunity. I know I would have scored because I was confident in myself, and I know that any of our players given one clear opportunity would have scored, and it just never came. You know, it, um, it is what it is, but that's what they've got to try and create. Out. I think our problem that day was we played the same way um, for 90 minutes, and we never yeah. mixed it up, and we needed somebody especially around the 70-odd the minute mark, could get the ball down and play those little um, little through balls, which would have got us that clear opportunity. We, we continued to play, you know, direct and long for, for the whole of the game. And, and they managed us, to be honest with you. You know, they, they did really well, obviously. Their they centre-half got man of the match. So it just proved that uh, they actually managed what we were doing. Yeah, um, I, I would we... say perhaps... <clears throat> go, go on, Martin. I was just going to say we, we talked with, with Ian Clark because I remember we we talked about how Wembley's different, and I think that day uh, we left Jason Dizel on the bench, and yeah. with hindsight, which is a wonderful thing, I think what you say there, Chris, someone is going to come on and be a bit different because it does. Ninety minutes at Sixfields or at Wadden Road is very different to ninety minutes at Wembley, yeah. and getting someone, I guess the equivalent now would be assuming we start with a similar size, someone like a Chris Lyons on that's probably looking to pass rather than be, be direct might be an option if things aren't going to plan at that point. Yeah, I mean, we, we said it ourselves, you know, as players that we needed Jason Dizelle on the pitch, even if it was just for the last 10 minutes, because, you know, we were the fittest team in the league. We ran every game, you know, for 90 minutes, 120 minutes, we could do that. Well, as I said before, they, they managed us. They sat a little bit deep, deeper and, and stopped that uh, direct pass. And we needed, <coughs> excuse me, we needed um, Jason Dizelle on the pitch for the last 10, 15 minutes that could have picked us a pass out. And that's what we needed at that time. And they wouldn't have been able to cope with that. Um, and like you say, hindsight's an amazing thing. I don't know the reasons why, um, but it does never got on, on the pitch that day. And I think we even made the difference, especially in the last sort of 10, 15 minutes, because they were flat on their feet. I think um, actually maybe this current crop of you know Cobblers players might have that slight edge on the 98 team in that we've got slightly more strength off the bench I would say in terms of creativity now on against Cheltenham a lot of fans were missed that um, a guy called James Olienko who's on loan from Arsenal he didn't start in the second leg and a lot of Cobblers fans were quite downhearted about that but it was actually probably a masterstroke from Curl that he, he brought in Hoskins, which kept the ball on the floor a little bit more. And then Oli Inka was able to be brought on for the last, you know, 20 minutes or so. So there are people like Oli Inka that can that can bring that creativity from the bench. There's um, Mark Marshall, who he's played at high level and he's a very sort of tricky player, can run with the ball and pass. People like Chris Lyons, as Lyons have said, Martin said. So I'm slightly sort of, I'm quite hopeful that we've, we do have that creative, creativity. It's whether Keith Curl has the bravery, I guess, in, in, a, in, a, in a tough game or tight game to, to bring on those creative players and whether, whether Exeter can match them because they've got some really creative players themselves like Randall Williams. So, um, yeah. yeah, so it's going to be an interesting sort of sort of, of um, match-up. Um, Ian, do you reckon that Cobblers, if Exeter make the pitch big for us and Cobblers can't make the, you know, the pitch small in terms of their pressing game and trying to Corral Exeter. Do you do you reckon that we can we can match Exeter's passing game and, and play that sort of side side of our play? It's a bit like Chris said. If 
if we if we press them enough, you know, we can don't really have to worry about what they're doing. We can kind of you know if we play like we did against Cheltenham, we can mm. we can um, we can sort of you know take control of the game a bit. I think the other thing as well is um, that's different now. Five subs we can make. Yeah. So, you know, if you, you know, the pitch might be big, but if you've got people like Ollie Inker coming off the bench, that might <laughs> be actually a problem. I was watching um, Football Focus yesterday as well, and they were saying that um, that Matt Taylor was on there, and he said that a couple of their players were, I think, two or three of them are out of contract as well now. That's seven. It's uh, seven. Seven of them are out of contract, and I think three yeah. of them have been told they're not going to get a contract as well. So, you know, whereas I don't think we've kind of made any sort of announcements um, like that. Chris, do you reckon players being told they might not have a contract will play into it, or people are just professionals and they'll just try and play the game anyway? To be honest with you, Wembley's a stage. You know, I yeah. think they'd be, I think they'd be daft not to put in the best performance possible because everybody's going to be watching. You know, if you want a stage to go out and go and get yourself another club or a bigger club or a better contract, then there's no better place than Wembley to do it. You know, you you can write your name in history, you can put your name in lights. Uh, I think they'd be stupid not to go out there and give it their absolute all so as a professional footballer probably could be uh could be a great thing for Exeter to have players going out there who want to um who want to showcase their skills so it could be a bad thing for Northampton in the end every league one manager every league one and league two managers going to be watching that game because you know there's nothing else happening might be a bit like um like Akin Fenro at Wembley a couple of years ago when first thing he did after the game finished and he scored that penalty was he did his little promo, didn't he? On when he's saying, hit me up on WhatsApp, all you managers out there, I'm a free agent, come and find me. That's true. Jake, how do you when you've you saw the cobblers in the, the the two playoffs, what what players stood out for you and what players do you think are really gonna have an, an effect on this final? Callum Morton 100% is going to have an effect on this final. I mean, this is a lad who, in my opinion, is probably going to be, is, you know, he has to figure into, if West Brom don't go up to the Prem, he's going to have to figure in their plans next year, 100%. I was incredibly impressed with Van Dane Oliver. He just looked very strong. He won every single header. McCormack was just immense. Like, I've, like, McCorm- like McCormack in the middle, like, I've not seen, I don't think, like, in terms of, you know, it, it, it was. It, it, I think it was kind of incomparable because any of the midfielder we've had, you know, we've all, you know, we've had some great ones like John Joe, Chris Hargreaves, you know, both sort of in the in the middle of the park. But he just was like, you know, again, he just won every tackle. Like everyone was just so up for it. I was saying the other day, I think the only player who didn't impress me was um, Steve Arnold, and it was because he didn't really have anything to do, you know. So. Yep. Yeah, like, like I think they, they, I'd really struggle to. I think Morton McCormack. Um, Oliver were the standouts, but everybody else, you know, not far behind. Anyway, Harry Mumba's quality as well. Yeah, just great. Yeah, I thought that Harry Moon actually, I sort of, um, I didn't slate him, but I just, I just thought that going into that game that I wouldn't see him as a, you know, a classic wing back, more of a full back. But he actually, Harry by name, Harry by nature, he harried that defence and forced that last goal, didn't he? So fair play to him for that. And Morton was. The clear that I give him 10, ten a clear ten out of ten for that game, and I do think there is actually um, similarities between Oliver and um, Morton and uh, Freestone and John Gale going back to that '98 team. And I, I sort of wanted to ask Chris. Yeah. Morton's a free-running sort of player, and so were you. You and you, 
you sort of got that ground in. Didn't you do athletics as a, as a kid and stuff? That you It wasn't just a purely football background. You had a bit of, you know, yeah, neutral speed. Basically, when I was at school, I, I, I did the, um, the 100, the 200 and the 400. Um, and obviously went to sort of the, the competitions, the school competitions that I did. I wasn't really into it, but I didn't mind running. Um, yeah. I'm not big. I've got to be honest. I'm not a big fan of running. Um, running short distances is my thing, not long distances. So anything over the 400, yeah. I, I never, I never did it um, too far, unless they let me do it with a football. You've, you've got to work hard. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what sort of game you have. You should never stop you from running. And it was something that was grounded into me at a young age. It doesn't matter how you perform. Just make sure that you keep running and grafting for the team because you never know what, what <coughs> might happen. Yourself, you're from Nottinghamshire, and it wasn't just yourself, obviously, that came through there. You were, you were played in teams of Andy Cole, didn't you? He and he did athletics too, I think, didn't he? Yeah, he was a lot quicker than me as well. never raced in the 200. I, I seen him run the 200, and it, it, you know he was winning with 100 to go, and he jogged. Um, that's how quick he was. <laughs> so I was quite fortunate we were never in race because uh, I don't think I'd have caught him. But. Uh, <laughs> It's another one. He was a he was a willing runner, you know. It's sometimes you've got to make something happen for yourself, you know. If if the balls aren't coming, that little bit of pressure, that extra hard work will get you a chance. You know, I've scored goals in the past where just chasing the goalkeeper down and ending up in a 50-50 with the keeper or the keeper missing it because because of the pressure. So, you know, sometimes you just got to run and make something happen for yourself. If if you can't get that, you know, that quality class through ball that that we all want to get onto. Um, try and make something happen for you for your own. As a player who's, who's sort of, I guess, one of your calling cards was your sort of pace and your runs. And we've yeah. probably got three players who excel in that that will probably start on um, tomorrow tomorrow night. So we've got Hoskins on the probably on the left wing, Adams on the right, or vice versa, um, and Morton. The size of the Wembley pitch that should be a real boon for those guys how did you how did you find as a player with those attributes those big open spaces were you would it say you as that type of player this is this is my sort of stage yeah it's to be honest it's the players behind you that have got to um to got to play to your strengths now the players behind me knew what my strengths were which was great they knew what Gailey's strengths were which was fantastic but they have they have to put the balls in the right areas there's no point pumping it down the middle when they've got too big, if they've got too big centre halves like Grimsby had, because then it's a battle between John Gale and and somebody the same size as him, um, you know, that's just going to head it back or or maybe get in front. So if it ends up going down the channels and you've got willing winning sorry willing runners down there, you've got half a chance. But then that also depends on how deep they sit. So if you've got 50 yards to play the ball in, play the ball in. If you've got 30 yards to play the ball in, probably not the best thing to do. Because you might not get there, you know. If if a defender's got ten yards on you and you are quick, you might end up in a 50-50. You might end up uh, beating him, but the ball also might end up running out of play. So they've got to pick and choose when to put those balls in. Right then, let's have a tactical interlude with Gabriel Sutton, aka Football Lab, on Twitter. You should check out his uh, Twitter feed. He knows a lot about all things EFL. Hello, Gabriel. You're right, Tom. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Getting a bit of that playoff fever now. Only a, a day before the League Two playoff final, and I guess you're excited too. Been a fan of the EFL. 
Yeah, massively. Um, I think after what happened uh, in the second legs where both Exeter and yourselves managed to turn the tie round after uh, a bit of a deficit from the first leg, um, it really sets it up nicely. Fantastic performance from yourselves at uh, Wadden Road. So, uh, yeah, really exciting final and, yeah, can't wait to get stuck into it. I think, actually, that our performance in that second leg at uh, Warden Road sort of gives hope for for sides and a bit of impetus in in the playoffs that never say never and it's never over till the last minute so mm. i think we're the first club to come back from a 2-0 deficit maybe not ever but certainly recently and you know it, it, clubs should never give up if if cobblers find themselves 2-0 down or exeter in the in the final just keep pushing keep pushing and anything can happen don't you agree yeah absolutely and i think the flip side of that is um that clubs, teams that have got a substantial lead from the first leg shouldn't think that the tie is won because you've still got another 90 minutes to play. And it's not like a classic 90 minutes in the same way that most teams would start out fairly cagey and feel their way into it because if the opposing team is chasing um, a deficit, then they're absolutely going to attack uh, from the outset. And obviously you got yourselves an early goal. And I think from Cheltenham's point of view, suggestions that certain players were wanted to keep themselves fit for the final they did seem to be they they seemed reluctant to sort of really attack those second balls um in the game at Wadden Road and uh, and I think that's really what cost them and I think that's what really helped yourselves and allowed you get to get back into the tie and, and ultimately win it how do you see this final because when I was previewing the Chuck Cobbersby Cheltenham semi-final it just looked very very close on paper paper including lineups and everything like that and it looks taking a cursory glance at Cobbersby Exeter that again potentially could be a very close close tussle yeah for sure um I think obviously with yourselves you're going to pose that uh, that direct threat with uh, with balls into the box and to be honest I think Exeter showed if they play with uh, Alex Fisher up top next to Ryan Bowman they've probably got two players who can kind of uh, go for the aerial duels and provide that physical reference point I suppose so it's going to be really exciting from that point of view and of course you've both you've both got technical players so Randall Williams, Nicky Law for Exeter and then for yourselves you're looking at Nicky Adams and Alan McCormick he's fantastic wasn't he in the second leg um so I think uh, both teams you'd imagine both teams are going to go direct uh, both teams have obviously got three at the back so I think it's about which pair of centre forwards can win that battle against the three centre backs and get the, the more technical players on the ball and I think that's probably where the game's going to be won and lost. Good point, actually. As a Cobblers fan, my concern, but my focus would be which which Cobblers team is actually going to turn up on Monday. Is it going to be the Cobblers team, you know, beasted Cheltenham in the second leg and his game plan came to perfection on that that day? Or the fairly timid outfit who went down in Cheltenham 2-0 as Robin's boss possession in the first leg? So, you know, it's just an interesting one which Northampton side is going to turn up and that's going to be crucial to our, our success, I think. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, there was a huge kind of contrast. Um, I suppose with the second leg, um, you kind of had 
uh, nothing to lose. And I, I loved the, the way that you kind of kept putting those balls into the Dane Oliver, who was fantastic, I thought, in that first half. Um, and then in the second half, it was really Callum Morton who came to the fore with his persistent running and his hassling. And I thought actually he was probably for, pretty probably among your best players in the first leg as well and probably was a bit unlucky to be taken off. So, yeah, I think Oliver and Morton will pose a threat. But, um, yeah, I think Northampton have to try and uh, recreate your performance levels from the second leg, which is no easy task because I think in the second leg, as I mentioned earlier, you've got nothing to lose. Whereas here it's a final and there's there's everything to lose as well as everything to gain. In the final, with, as you say, a promotion on the line, will it go slightly more cagier? And in that sort of cagey play that can often happen in a, in a, in a Wembley final, does that mean that we lose impetus because we're not going to be as in your face as uh, Cheltenham. And does that mean that Exeter's is probably a slightly superior passing game might start to creep in and, and, and gain superiority over the 90 minutes or maybe in extra time? Obviously, Alan McCormack, I think uh, he's had a little bit of a rest from the second leg. So uh, whether he can sort of... Uh, assert some control on the game like he did at Cheltenham. Probably Exeter are going to play with a higher line of engagement, which could make things a bit harder for him because I think he was sort of swamped a little bit, wasn't he, uh, in the first leg in comparison with the second where he maybe had a little bit more room to sort of dictate things. Randall Williams was always one I've returned to and I'm looking at the games with Exeter because I think he is a standout talent there and one that can potentially play Higher, so it'd be interesting to see how cobblers marshal him. And when we are, I was talking about Exeter's passing, I don't want to sort of over egg the cake in that they're you know like a crew Alexandra in terms of their mm. passing because they're not. They Exeter can actually go very direct, so they're not you know they're not a ticky tack aside. But it does concern me when I look at the stats and in terms of passing, I looked at whoscored.com, which is quite a good site for stats. And Northampton had the second lowest pass percentage record in League Two this season and the lowest short pass percentage. So on a Wembley pitch when perhaps Exeter are trying to sort of corral our direct game and forcing us to pass a little bit, are we going to have an issue there? So that would be one um, one minus point for Northampton. But I think a, a big positive point is us Northampton's squad depth. So when we look at Northampton's bench and bench strength is crucial in these sort of games when players going to fatigue quite easily and we're going to need replacements that I think Northampton's bench you, you might contradict contradict me but Northampton's potential bench slightly stronger than Exeter's yeah you've got someone like uh, Mark Marshall in there who's um I mean he's a pretty experienced winger he's played sort of in league one I think with Port Vale and I think he was part of the Bradford side that reached the playoffs in 2017 wasn't he so um a bit of experience there and then someone like Harry Smith decent player to bring off the bench with that sort of target man presence, I suppose, as well. Um, so, yeah, plenty of depth there and people who can uh, maybe change games a little bit, for sure. Who would you say are the players to look out for from Exeter for Northampton fans? Maybe th- choose three that you would be looking out for on the, on the, the night. OK, um, well, the first one I'd say would be Aaron Martin. I think he probably goes under the radar a little bit, but I think he's probably been among the best centre-backs in League Two this season. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think he's been pretty good, strong over the last um, couple of, over the two legs against Colchester. And I think uh, with Exeter, they, 
fans tend to sort of think they trust them defensively. Um, and I think Martin's going to be a big part of that, probably being their best, arguably their best player this season. Um, so, so, so certainly Martin. Uh, alongside that, I mean, I think they've probably got three options, several options in midfield because they've got Nicky Law, who's obviously a very creative player, and then uh, Archie Collins, who I've mentioned, and uh, Nigel Ashton-Garner and Jake Taylor. So probably one of those players is going to be left out. Um, Nicky Law, I've mentioned, really intelligent operator at this level. I think he finds space very well. Um, lovely movement can sort of pick those first time passes and I think if he's in a team where he's got sort of runners around him and either side of him then he can really come to the fore uh, I would say and you can't really get away from Randall Williams I think he probably didn't show his full capabilities in the um, the first leg which is I think that was because uh, his game was pretty much about trying to take on Cohen Bramall every time so the game was always about uh, pace and I think if you have two players who are equal in terms of pace then it's probably the defending player that's more likely to come out victorious but I think what happened in the second leg was Exeter had more runners into that right flank and that meant that Randall Williams didn't always have to take on Bramall he could sometimes play a forward pass or or link up play and uh, and that gave him more options so uh, I think Randall Williams is definitely going to be a threat for Exeter so the three players I'd pick out would be Aaron Martin, Nicky Law and Randall Williams. What do you think in terms of managerially it was an interesting one with Keith Curl in the first leg with Cheltenham because his experience seemed to shine through in that second leg a bit wily a bit of nous do you think that Matt Taylor might lack a bit of experience going up against Keith Curl tactically or do you, or do you rate uh, Matt Taylor's sort of tactics and team preparation stuff like that uh, well, I rate Matt Taylor in the sense that he was very quickly able to change the game plan from the first leg for Exeter and uh, get these ideas across to his players in a very short space of time because it was only like three days, was it, between the first leg and the second leg? So I think that was really impressive. And I think in the first leg, Exeter were either going long to Bowman or they were kind of in the second half passing it around the halfway line between Atangana and Lauren didn't really have any runners and it just all looked a bit stale and then in the second leg within you know minutes of kickoff they were all of a sudden playing at a high tempo they had lots of run sometimes you had Collins going into the right flank to support sometimes it was Nicky Law sometimes it was Alex Fisher uh, lots of different players supporting Randall Williams on that right flank and I think that made a massive difference uh, and then you sometimes had Fisher sort of peeling off to the back post and sort of grafting and and generally just the fluency of their play in that game especially in the first half against Colu, uh it all just kind of came together and I was sort of surprised actually how quickly Taylor was able to get his ideas across and execute the game plan considering um, players haven't had much match sharpness and things like that so I do think I rate Matt Taylor I think he's got a big future in management um, Really, with, with Northampton, um, I think you've got to give credit as well to Keith Curl in terms of how he set his team up uh, in that second leg. And I suppose you'd say experience was a factor. But again, Keith Curl hasn't actually won promotion uh, as a manager yet. And, and maybe there's a similar ghost hanging over Exeter in the sense that um, a couple of their players were part of the uh, teams that um, were finalists in 2017 I think and 2018 uh, reached League 2 player final those years so I suppose for them it's the case of, of laying the ghost but yeah really interesting tactical matchup. 
definitely an interesting tactical matchup, and it's is an interesting tussle in terms of Wembley preparation and just finding your flow at Wembley. Like you said, Exeter have fallen the final hurdle a couple of times. Does that mean that they're going to have some sort of mental thing at the back of their minds that can we actually do it this time? Are we going to we're going to fall short again, or does that mean that actually Exeter have knocked on the door a couple of times and this time they might have the confidence to say like we've you know made a couple of mistakes last time let's sign them up if we do everything in our game plan this is our year conversely with Keith Curl he's um, a very experienced campaigner tactically pretty good in terms of turning games around as we've seen but is that weight of needing this CV and he talks about it quite a lot in, in interviews is is that going to weigh quite heavily on his mind and put pressure on himself? So that's, an, that's an interesting tussle, really. Yeah, from the psychological point of view, um, I think it's an advantage for Exeter that they've got players in there who were part of teams that lost at Wembley before, because I do think that that will serve as motivation, uh, because I don't think they've turned up at Wembley the last two times. They lost quite, um, probably weren't great against Blackpool in 2017 and certainly didn't turn up against Coventry the following season. And I think people like Jake Taylor, um, the more long-serving members of, of that squad, um, they're going to want to put that right. And I do think that there will be a fierce determination in the camp um, as well, I think, um, makes a difference, I think, having Matt Taylor in charge, because I don't think Tisdale ne- was necessarily a big game manager. Uh, I think he was quite a process driven manager who kind of kept his emotions pretty separate. He was someone who uh, I don't think he ever really cared about how much the fans liked him or not. I think he tried to kind of distance himself from that, which I think, to be fair, over the course of his time there, 12 years, wasn't it? Um, that kind of worked for Exeter because um, his process-driven sort of approach allowed them to create uh, saleable assets like Grimes, like uh, Ampadu, people like that, Ollie Watkins. Uh, so that developmental side worked for Exeter, but I think in terms of the big games, especially towards the end of his tenure, uh, he didn't really get his players psyched up for the big occasion. And, and that's not just Tisdale's fault, but I think with Matt Taylor... Maybe it's possible that he's um, he's a bit more direct. I think fans can kind of understand him a bit more. I think after games, he'll speak quite uh, precisely about what he think went wrong and what he think were the positives to build on. I think that's where fans can kind of buy into what he's trying to do. Obviously, fans won't be there. In terms of an overall result, I've been thinking about this a, a fair bit and is no doubt going to be close for a a fairly long period I think but in terms of thinking about who's going to win overall I just I think that probably we could be looking at a draw in normal time I'm thinking maybe one or nil nil fairly close in normal time and then I think the gloves might start to come off a bit in extra time if that happens and then it's when what manager can really start to produce game-changing substitutions or just keep their, their team flowing. And I think, talking back to benches, if you've got someone like Marshall, who really has only been a cameo player for Northampton, if you can bring him off the bench in extra time, or Alayinka, or players that can carry the ball to that extent, I think that Northampton have a good chance and might sneak it in extra time. So I would go as an outcome 2-1 in 
extra time to Northampton, but that could easily be the complete opposite, 2-1 to Exeter. But I just think if I was, you know, I'm a betting guy, I, I reckon a draw in normal time, Northampton to take a close um, extra time period. What about yourself if I push you on a result? Um, well, I would agree with you on the sense that uh, it'll be a draw in normal time. I could see it being a nil-nil, actually. Both teams have two up top and both teams have three at the back. So uh, you can see both strikers are going to be outnumbered by three centre-backs. And then it's how much do either does either side gamble in terms of the midfielders and getting them forward. And uh, I'm just not convinced that... Um, either side is necessarily going to risk too much um, in terms of pushing those midfielders forward and getting in support. And I do feel that chances could be at a premium um, because although Northampton scored three at Cheltenham, I think that was because Cheltenham played with a very low line and Northampton played with a very high line. Whereas I think the uh, it'll be slightly more balanced and I do think it'll be tighter this time around. Uh, for me, I would probably go with Exeter. Uh, I'd say 1-0 to Exeter uh, in extra time. Thanks for taking time out to, to talk to, to us. And it's always really appreciated, especially you, you taking so many fail games and it's just good to hear from, from you know an outsider in inverted commas looking in from the outside about how the game's going to go and just you know thanks a lot for doing it yeah. have you got what's your uh, twitter what's your twitter profile so people that are listening can check you out on twitter and your social media and stuff sure uh, you can follow me at underscore football lab with two hours rather than three and um, yeah, it's been my pleasure, Tom, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up at a game at Sixfields at some point next season when we're allowed back in. <laughs> yeah, I know you're a fairly regular, regular visitor to Sixfields, so that'll be really nice. And cheers, mate. Speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. All right. Thanks to Football Lab for all his input and information on the Monday's playoff final. Let's get back to Chris Freestone. Talking from a Cobbers perspective. Let's move on to Monday's game. Let's start with Martin. How do you see the game going? Do you think it's going to be close or do you think there might be a couple of goals either way, a bit like the second leg, did you know? Well, I guess it's probably, we were talking about Alan McCormack um, earlier and I think he's been a microcosm of the last week or so because we probably saw the worst of the cobblers and the best of the cobblers and McCormack probably that times 10. You know, he an imperious performance on Monday and probably his most anonymous performance on on Thursday. I I mean, I think the key, and, you know, extra have been through to, you know, a couple of tough games, got a couple of injuries, you know, whereas we're coming on a high. I think we'll always get a feel for it in the first five, ten minutes, because even before Vidane scored, there were, there were chances, there was movement, and I think if we if we start to get Hoskins and Adams on the ball, Morton looking sharp, I think we're going to be in, we're going to be in for a good day. We'll, we could almost continue what we did, and then it's about game management. Equally, and you know, players don't sit back. I don't. I never think deliberately. If we don't get on top of them early, I think extra is a good footballing side are going to think the game's there for the taking, but. I really think our, you know, without going crazy gung-ho, that first 10 minutes is going to give you a good feel of whether it's going to be our day or not. Yeah, I agree with that as well. I think we set our stall out so early against Cheltenham, the second leg of Dane Oliver's powerful header. Just 
it just imposed on the game and it just just suggested the way we were going to do complete the rest of it Ian what about you how do you how do you see things playing out on Monday night um, I think what Chris said earlier about you know working hard and, and never stop running I think cobblers are going to go into this very very determined I think Curl really really wants to have a promotion on his CV he's never had a promotion has he um, I, I think if they if they're not going to be sort of spurred on by last Monday, then they they never will be. Uh, yeah, I, I I think with nothing to lose. I think the other, I mentioned it the other day. I think Exeter this is their what third playoff final in four years, isn't it? Mm, mm. And you, and you wonder is that going to affect them psychologically, or is it going to be the opposite and they're going to think yeah you know less because I think a lot of the squad were there. Um, two years ago um, I think they lost to Coventry didn't they a couple of years ago so it's, it's hard to say it's, it's, it's difficult but yeah I think I think we'll do enough to win it I want to hear from Andy anyway he, he got the prediction spot on the other day so I reckon whatever he says is going to happen Go on then Andy let's hear your prediction mate and how you think it will go Oh mate I, th- I think the Cobblers will win 2-1 right, Okay and, I don't know uh, why do think- I just do do you think there's goals in that team, think, aren't there? It's another yeah. cup final yeah. at the end of the day, yeah. isn't it? You know, and we've seen what they can produce. And yeah. again, I'm, I'm not going to add anything other than you know what everyone says. It's uh, the the start to the match is all important, isn't it? It's the tone you set. It's who, it's who, it's who wins those you know those battles in the opening exchanges and and sets the tone really. Jake, what would you say? to the team if you were Keith Carr what, what, what would your uh, what would your Wales of Winston be <laughs> I'd say don't repeat Bradford City from 2013 otherwise Jane oh, Moore will have yeah. a heart attack that's what I'd, that's what I'd say about his <laughs> Keith Carr <Yeah. laughs> that's quite a um, neat little team but, talk because you just say don't do that just don't do that but, Kel, <laughs> but, but I don't think Kel's going to do that because I don't think Kel has got I don't you know don't want to slag anyone off but I don't think he's got the ego that AD Boothroyd had where he's mm. going to fall out with his starting striker. He's not going I'll to fall out with Callum Walker. Off. <laughs> yeah, well, go. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, don't, I, think, I think the squad is very tight knit. I don't think you've got that that kind of, you know, you, you haven't got any in fighting it. Everyone's come through a very difficult time, and, you know, it's probably yeah. the same for Exeter. But, you know, I think it's, I think it's bonded everyone. And, and, you know, you can certainly see on last Monday that they went into that all working together, wanting to work for each other. No stars. Obviously, people stood out because they had amazing games. But, you know, I think they did all work for each other. And I think they will do the same on Monday. So, I don't think we will have a scenario where, you know, Curl falls out with Rodane Oliver or Colin Morton and drops him. You know what I mean? Whereas, I don't know, I can't say the same for Exeter because, you know, obviously, it's a different situation. Sorry, Jake, I'll let you get on. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like, I, I just think... I think you got that spot on. I don't think Keith Curl has a has a, 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 a bit as big an ego as Eddie Boothroy, but then I think you struggle to find anyone who does. So it's kind of um, <laughs> uh, I would expect that the um, it'll probably set up the same team uh, as he did against Cheltenham. He's not going to make any well. I'd hope he isn't going to make any huge statements by like dropping people or whatever. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just think again what I think what Andy said. The start of this match is going to be key. We've got to set the tone. Look at the second leg against Cheltenham, get that early goal, and then, you know, just really turn the screw. Yeah, that sounds pretty sensible appraisal. Um, Chris, if you were Cobblers 
gaffer and you're going into this game knowing you played in playoffs and quite big games yourself, how, how would you be sort of suggesting that they go about the game? Yeah, pretty pretty similar. You know, for me, it's got to be a similar performance to the second leg. Um, they've got to press the ball 100%. They've got to press the ball all over the pitch, but they've got to do it in the right way. They've got to set traps and press in twos and threes. You know, they can't sit off um, and they can't press 100% for 90 minutes. You know, they, they've got to get to certain areas where they can press the ball and then press it in twos and threes and go and win it back and attack them with pace. But like everybody said, that you know, for me, the first 20 minutes are going to be key. If they can set this stall out in the first 20 minutes, they're going to have a fantastic chance. And obviously, if they get a goal in that 20 minutes, um, even better. But they, they've definitely got to set the stall out and they've got to do it in the right way at the right time. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see if we can do it. And Exeter have played an extra half hour of extra time in that second leg. So we might have a slight bit of freshness on them. So that'll be interesting to see see the fitness levels. Chris, you were talking about traps. Can you sort of explain to us, you know a lot more about game management and stuff like that. What would a, what would a trap be that, that Cobbers could use so, or, or team? Yeah, so as the players are passing the ball in, obviously Exeter like to keep the ball, you know, the uh, the Northampton players they, they've just got an edge. They haven't got to press the ball. They've got to wait until um, they want to put it into certain areas, allow them to pass it into certain areas. So it, whether that be the the fullback or whether it goes into the centre half and they can press centrally, then they've got to look to set those sort of those opportunities, force them to pass the ball where you want them to force them to pass the ball, and then just go and press it. So as the ball's travelling, they've got to be running. You know, there's no point in, in one of the players or the centre-half, for example, controlling the ball and then going pressing. They've got to be pressing as the ball's going over to the centre-half. And that way, you, you, if they're there within two or three yards on their first touch, they've got a great opportunity in nicking the ball or even nicking the ball before they get control of it. So it's just setting those little traps, you know, and if, if they're going to keep the ball in and around their 18-yard box or 20, 30 yards out, that's where they've got to do it, you know. So that's that's the idea. Well, that's um, that's really interesting because because as fans we we probably don't see a lot of the I won't call it gamesmanship, but the games management that goes on at, at you know player level, and that's just really interesting to hear some little techniques that you can you can do to try and affect the game over you know ninety minutes. Um, we we always do a little prediction, and we you know we might as well do, should even though we're attempting fate a little bit, but. We'll go around the group a little bit and just get what your prediction for the score will be. We'll start. We've had Andy's. Andy went two one, but we'll go to you, Martin. What, what do you reckon the score will be on Monday? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> on Andy's record, I'm going straight on Scott on Skybet and I'm putting two one correct score. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, um, I think it's, it's a big pitch. I think both te- both teams should score. Um, I I think we'll continue how how we did. On um on Monday night and I'm going three one cobblers. If it comes in, Martin, do we timeshare the jacuzzi? <laughs> I think I've got one pound sixty three in my account, so um, oh, okay, I won't. Right. We right, probably yeah. won't be retiring. Okay, no, fair no the, enough. All right, yeah. The thing just... is, we're putting the money towards the uh, class action against Simon Cowell for stealing all of Andy's ideas. <laughs> yeah, so, we are actually. That's exactly where it's going, money. mate. It's exactly it's where it's going. And I, yeah, and I'm going to look down the back of the sofa for more funds to 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 fund the cause as well when this calls over. 
unfortunately, Andy, the legal bill is already 150,000, so we're in deep trouble. We're going to have to start getting sponsors for the podcast. Okay, <laughs> mate, do a go, go crowdfundme page, please. <laughs> so, uh, Ian, give us a score prediction, mate. Backs against the all time. Uh, two nil cobblers. Two nil cobblers. I don't, I don't even want to be in a position where X to score. I don't want that stress in my life at the moment. I just, yeah, two nil. Nice. Oh. Nice straightforward win for us. Nice clean win. Nice clean. Yeah, with yeah. no because what cobblers are like, they play with our emotions. They put us through so much stress. It'd be nice just for once, straightforward. Job yeah. Straightforward. That's what we want. Yeah. Goal each for each of the strikers. Yeah. yeah. Jake, what about you, mate? Four nil to the cobblers. Oof, like it. Point it out Jake's, there. Jake like started it. his pre-game drinking already. I take it. <laughs> <laughs> I started on Friday. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, yeah, no, we will, we'll, we'll, we'll take that all day long. If we can, do you know, after um, Bradford, where we got absolutely trounced and it was embarrassing, you know, I took my brother to that game and he comes to very few games and I like convinced him to go and we went and we were like 3 0 down after yeah, that was, God knows how long. It was embarrassing. So that it was, was nice the worst, to embarrass that. To have a bad, wasn't it? It was bad. So he's really never forgiven Yeah. So. 3-0 or 4-0 will be will be lovely. Um, I've I've spoken to Football Lab and I don't want to sort of be copying uh, Andy too much, but I just think it's going to be quite close during 90 minutes. I think it's going to go to extra time. I might have a go in 0-0 in 90 minutes or 1-0 and then 2-1, like Andy says, you know, get a goal, probably Callum Morton in extra time. And um, as long as we get promotion, it doesn't matter. What about you, Chris? Have, can you give us what you your score prediction? I think it's going to be very close. Uh, I'm yeah. I'm going to go simple one nil, Cobblers. Yeah, that's you know in terms of betting the the odds are very close. I was trying to work out the odds, but they're just it's something like thirteen to eight, nine to four, something like that to get my calculator right. But I think Exeter are slight favourites, but only marginally, and a one nil scoreline wouldn't surprise me. And, you know, hopefully for Northampton, and it will if we win. It will just cap off the season in a really nice way. It's been a very strange time for everyone. And um, it's just nice that we can, you know, be talking about playoffs again after. It seems to happen about every 10 years, Cobblers get into the playoffs, doesn't it? It was like 1998 and then um, Boo wasn't too long after. But, you know, it's, it's positive for the football club. And we should probably wrap up now. But thanks for everyone joining in again and, and you know let's hopefully we can we, we said there was going to be the last podcast but if we win we'll have one more you know and just uh, hopefully you know toast our success but hopefully everyone can sort of join in if we win but thanks everyone to, for talking today and we'll chat to you all soon if any of you have got the score right i'm buying you a beer cheers all Nice one. Bye. Bye. See you guys. Bye bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.